sticks, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love, the government hug the government love, the government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at North Kentucky University. Just a couple of quick things before we get to today's show. First off, if you're interested in hearing what the supporters bonus shows are like, well, for one week, we're going to kind of open them up to everyone so you can get a sense of what we do on these bonus shows. Uh, Kristen and I this last week had a great discussion, I think, about Mayor Pete and the sort of qualities just more generally that we think are important in a president and a presidential candidate. So if you want to check that out, get a sense of maybe if it's the kind of thing you'd like to get on a regular basis, just go to our Patreon site. That's patreon.com slash politics guys. And you can check it out as well as all the uh, cool stuff you can potentially get by being a Patreon supporter. Secondly, at some point in the very near future, we are going to be trying our very first live broadcast. Um, it should be uh, could be interesting, uh, hopefully not embarrassing, but we're doing this with CastBox, the podcast app, folks. I had a conversation with them not too long ago, uh, some of their top folks, and they're interested and I'm interested, and so we're going to give it a shot and see what happens. But before we do that, we need to know when the best time would be. So let me know when you think would be the best time to try a live broadcast. And again, this will probably be just a short experimental thing at first, but I'd really love to make it a regular thing if it's uh, if it's popular and interesting to you. So let me know. You can just respond at uh, email at mike at politicsguys.com. And uh, that would be great. Thank you so much. And now on with the show. With me today is political and policy analyst, Kristen Matheny. Hey, Kristen, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Mike? I am doing okay. Ready to get at it. Yeah, it's time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there was a story that we didn't quite get to. Uh, yeah, Ilan, Ilan Omar, um, this, this is sort of a grudge match going on between um, Ilan Omar and Donald Trump. And yeah. yeah, it's something that we wanted to get to. And we tried to get to it in the bonus episode. And we just ran out of time because the 2020 race is just too interesting. And we, had, we were having too much fun talking about it. Um, but obviously, you know, there are a lot of accusations that the two that the two of them are both hitting below the belt um, on either side. And I think it's, you know, it's very much it's less a policy argument and really more of a political argument, which I know we sometimes try to avoid on this show. But it's impossible to get out of the weeds sometimes with these items. So, um, you know, Representative Omar has made some very controversial comments. Um, she's come out and defended them. Trump has fired back on social media, which we've learned that's his favorite method of firing back on. And um, he's defended his controversial actions. And so I guess, you know, the obvious question is, Mike, what's your what's your takeaway? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who started the fire? <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, like a lot of people. I watched the video that the president tweeted and uh, I thought it was disgusting and, and offensive. Uh, taking four words from Omar out of context, and those four words were were ill-spoken. I don't doubt that. Don't question that for a minute. Some people did something. But taking those four words and interspersing them multiple times with scenes of 9-11, that seems to me to be perilously close to presidential incitement to violence. And so I, it, it turned my stomach. Uh, and because if, if you listen to the remarks in context, she said, here's the truth. For far too long, we've lived with the discomfort of being a second class citizen. And frankly, I'm tired of it. And every single Muslim in the country should be tired of it. 
Care was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Now, in context, again, that some people did something, I would say that that was, that, again, ill-spoken and she should have not phrased it that way. But the way that the president framed that, at least in the video that he didn't like do the video himself, but the tweet, that just, it literally just turned my stomach. And it's, I think it's inexcusable. Yeah, I, you know, just to uh, the takeaway from somebody on the right who supports Trump, but desperately wants him to curb his sometimes irrational reactions. Um, I do think that he tends to um, let the filter go more, way more than he should on social media, especially Twitter. And I think that, um, you know, him drawing attention to this video was was not a good move. Um, I, I'm a Republican who has one of my closest friends is actually Muslim. And I, and I spoke with her about it. Um, and, you know, she always draws a point that, um, you know, that since nine 11 and even predating nine 11, that Muslims have not been treated the same way and that there is this suspicion on them. And I think that, you know, from, from the, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, from the right, you could say that Representative Omar has has gone out of her way on other occasions. And I think that's why a lot of people are objecting to what she said. Some people did something. She's gone out of her way to say things that were perceived by many as anti-Semitic. Um, and so I think they're sort of linking these things and they're 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 taking this statement out of context. Um, you know, in I did the same thing as you did. I actually wanted to see what she said in context. Is it different? Um, it is. I, I don't think it changes the meaning. I think what she said was horribly disrespectful to the, you know, what was it, almost 3,000 people who died that that day. Or, you know, I, I think it's horribly disrespectful. However, um, you know, she has walked some of her statements back. Um, I, I hate to say it, but I actually understand where both sides are coming from, and it's impossible to decide. I mean, she was elected. She was a, a reactionary, um, a reactionary candidate in the first place, and I think she was elected by a lot of people who dislike Trump, and they thought that she would be a thorn in his side. And and with some of these comments and, and her defenses of these comments, she's proven to be one. So you know. Again, I, I don't know if there's a winner or loser here. Again, I think we all sort of lose because this has really gone below the belt. I mean, they're both sort of jabbing at each other. Um, yeah, again. Well, yeah, I, I I see where you're coming from. And I, I guess I would I would say that there's maybe a little bit of a false equivalency because what, you know, President Trump in later comments said, look, she's been very disrespectful to this country. And I think you can make a reasonable case that that is so. I mean, there is, as you point out, a history of remarks and things that raise some concerns to me. And so, okay, yes. But there's a difference between being disrespectful and just being, well, like I said before, just at the open, disgusting and offensive and taking those images and using, using 9-11 in that way is so much more disrespectful to the country, so much more disgusting. Uh, than anything that she has done. And the fact that it's coming from the president of the United States and not some first-term representative, that to me, that's where I, I draw the line. So I understand what you're saying. And, but I think that, and especially then when there are death threats, when people are arrested for making threats and the president is asked, well, do you regret any of this? No, not at all. That, yeah. that to me is, that's sickening. That's just sickening. 
Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I would I would uh, characterize the, the video as offensive. I, I would characterize what he did as being extremely petty, uh, which is my probably one of my <laughs> biggest, not my biggest, you know, criticism of, of the president as somebody who voted for him in 2016 and and will vote for him again in 2020. I, I think he's just I mean, petty's not even the word to describe it. He's chi- childish about some of these things. But, um, you know, to post it and to not back down from it, I, I understand understand where he's coming from. Um, I had friends who were personally affected, you know, by 9-11. And again, like, I I don't want to go back to that and and make it a a political issue. I think, you know, anytime you invoke a a horrific tragedy like that, it's it's the same thing as when people invoke Nazism or the Holocaust. You know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, don't use that for political gain. But what she said was directly related to 9-11. And what she said, I was offended by what she said. Um, and, 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 and I'm barely offended by anything. But what she said really struck a chord with me. I think the president, my, my, my assessment is that he took it way too far. And he, he should have had decorum, which I know he doesn't have much of that. And, you know, I'll probably never hear the end of that. But, you know, he should have had the you know, the wherewithal to say, like, you know what, I'm going to call her out on this comment, and I'm not going to evoke emotion with this 9-11. (laughs) But of course, we know that Trump doesn't operate on that wavelength of it. You know, again, like, if it was this, you know, perfect world, not that I ever want to be president, but if I was, I definitely would have approached this a different way. But I was, at my core, very bothered by what she said. And I have been very bothered by some of the things she said. I'm, you know, I'm married to a Jewish man. A lot of my friends are Jewish. And you know, it 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 felt personal and offensive. However, Trump should not have done what he did. Yeah. No, and, and I get what you're saying. I think she raises some important points, but she raises them in a way that I think is oftentimes overly inflammatory and not in the end helpful. And that's my concern. And I think this is certainly an example of that because the larger point in context, I absolutely agree with what she said, but then she, I think, totally sort of destroyed that with that those, those four words some people did something and i get why she did it in the same way but but again that that's my issue and you know another aspect of this of course is it it highlights some tension among the more progressive democrats in the leadership right because speaker pelosi was criticized by some in her caucus for not responding more forcibly yeah. to this sort of thing and you know especially when this is criticism at women of color and so you know uh, but i think pelosi's strategic sense is right here and we talked about this in the in the saturday show that she gets that of the uh, 43 districts that flipped from republican to democrat most of them were fairly centrist district and she has to think first and foremost about keeping that majority and she knows she can't push the party too far to the left so it's easy for someone like uh, Ocasio-Cortez or Omar to say these things because that plays right into their district. But you don't want to, you don't want to tar your more moderate members with having to respond and defend that sort of thing from the caucus because that puts them in danger. And so that's the important thing, keeping that majority to make sure you can at least try to advance policy that's going to help all Americans, whether they're 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 Muslim or Jewish or what have you. And I think I think Speaker Pelosi is absolutely right on on standing her ground on this. Oh, a hundred percent. And and again, we did talk about this um I think in the the Saturday show, yeah. but I, you know, I think that, again, I disagree with with Speaker Pelosi, um, you know, on just about everything she does and says, but I respect her 
political savvy. She's very, very shrewd. And I don't underestimate her for a second. She knows this is a losing issue, but she knows that somebody like Omar or somebody like Ocasio-Cortez, they're in a safe district. I mean, I personally, I am actually, I live in the same neighborhood as Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She's my uh, congresswoman. I see her at Starbucks. You know, I see her at the grocery store. And this district is a very safe district from her. But when, you know, there, when there's all this, all these discussions going on about can you know how can we unseat her from the right these aren't these aren't things that are going to happen anytime soon in their districts and so like you said like they're like you know their positions are relatively safe that now that doesn't mean that if she says something truly inflammatory and if that there's enough hoopla around it that she could be primaried and taken yeah. out but she was very much a reactionary vote um, against Trump in her district and you know I'm sure that we will see more of this and I'm sure that you know, she will up the ante. I'm sure Trump will up the ante because, again, this is political fodder for each of them. And we all lose. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the truth, unfortunately. So yeah. now I understand we have some listener mail. We do have some listener mail and, um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of questions and, you know, some of them are a little long, so I'll try to get, you know, through them kind of quickly. Um, but yeah, we definitely wanted to answer some of these are great questions. Um, the first question that we have is from Brian and Brian writes, um, you have had several discussions on today's media and how much of the bias results from corporate models of profit, though some outliers are just biased or as you call them, uh, as you call it, sensationalism. Do you have any suggestions for holding these outlets accountable? Things like libel laws, government regulation. Ugh, as a Republican, I cringe at that. Addressing <laughs> uh, social media. Uh, do you think that Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow should not be allowed to legally call their programming news or be featured on a news network? If you think action is warranted, which based on today, I assume this is the case. Do you think that there should be enforceable higher standards for what public officials say on TV or social media in this day and age of Trump and perpetual dishonesty? Or ultimately, will we have to just wait for this era of information bubbles to pop themselves in a manner of speaking? I like that analogy. Yeah. What's your take, Mike? Well, on this, I think, Kristen, you and I are going to be in agreement, actually, and maybe even in complete agreement, because while I understand the desire to find a way to regulate this. I just, I think that the, the cure would be worse than the disease in the long run. I, I just think there's no real viable way to do it. I think what certainly what Sean Hannity and increasingly what Rachel Maddow do and, and their ilk uh, is, is, is awful uh, in many ways. I think cable TV as a general rule is just a flaming cesspool of awfulness, but regulating it is not the answer. I think we have to get people, you know, culture proceeds, uh, let's say culture eats strategy from breakfast is an old business saying, but it kind of applies here is that we need, we need a cultural change. We, we need people to not want this stuff as much. And as long as people want it, they're going to find a way around it. They're going to find a way around whatever regulatory hurdles. And of course there's the first amendment. So I think from a practical standpoint, it would be difficult to do. And honestly, I don't think it mad would matter if over Sean Hannity, you have a bright red flashing light saying Surgeon General has you know, determined that this is dangerous to your health. People would still tune in because he's super entertaining and gets them worked up. Same thing for Rachel Maddow. So that's my take on that. How, what do you think, yeah. Kristen? Oh, I mean, not to sound like a, you know, like a total echo of what you just said. I completely agree. Um, you know, I, I, 
obviously come from a little bit of a different background. I worked, I actually worked for um, a major cable news network for a long time. And um, I, one of the, one of my jobs, my main job was doing social, all the social media for this network, but I also wrote a lot of the news. Yes. Wrote a lot of the news. (laughs) So, you know, I, and, I'll, and I'll let, you know, the listeners obviously color that however they want to. But, um, I mean, at, at the end of the day, these huge media conglomerates are selling a product. Whether or not you, you like it, you're, you're buying right into it. And I can't tell you how many times I talk to people. I have a lot of friends on the left and a lot of friends on the right who say, well, I only watch CNN. I only watch MSNBC. I only watch Fox News. I only watch OAN. You know, it it's it. It every time I hear somebody say that, it makes me shudder because it, it this is this is where they're getting their news. You know, people who get their news from the Daily Show or from Facebook. The, these are the people that that we're talking to, and it it is awful. It's it's abhorrent to some. I mean, in a lot of ways, it, it disturbs me like it disturbs you that we're able to call these people journalists. Um, you know, because they are a far cry from like the Walter Cronkites and the the Peter Jennings and you know the sort of these you know people. And 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 there are true journalists out there who present stories as you know these like series of factual nuggets. And and I really have a lot of respect for them. But I mean, they're becoming fewer and farther between. And I think it's just you have to remember as somebody who actually like worked in the sausage factory and helped make the sausage. I'm warning both people on the right and the left, like this is a good opportunity for you to take a step back, look at what you're watching and make the effort to try to change what you watch so that you can get a better and more full perspective. Because yeah. yeah. I mean, man, these these pundits, we're seeing more and more of them. And I make a concerted effort not I mean, sometimes I get sucked in, especially when I'm when I'm falling for confirmation bias. And I have to like reality check myself and say, not not Sean Hannity, he's not my favorite, but you know, I'll find myself watching these people and and I'll and I'll say to myself, like, I can't do this. You know, I, I this is this is opinion, this isn't fact. So, you know, in terms of regulation, again, that pesky first amendment, it it can be your best friend and your worst enemy. It, you know, protects free speech. It's an extraordinarily important. I'm a huge fan of free speech, but with something like this, I mean, you're just, you're treading too far into that regulatory zone. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, I, I certainly agree with you on that. And I, I was particularly glad given your experience, real, real world experience that you were the one to be able to, you know, uh, that I was on the show to answer this question. Cause I do think that matters a lot. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, sometimes people assume that, most of the people in media are just these sort of are just these sort of uh, malevolent characters, essentially. But it seems to me that so much on the academic side, from what I've what I've learned, is that so much of it is just, hey, we need to we need to survive in this marketplace, and this yeah. is this is what the audience wants, and so we're giving this to them essentially. And, you know, I mean, you're certainly not a malevolent character, and you were in the machine. You had to do what you had to do to pay the bills. I try, I try not to be, I try not to be malevolent. No, no. I really do try <laughs> others would disagree, but you know, I, I, I always tell people that, um, you know, I've been to, you know, I've had meetings at other sort of these TV, you know, news stations and these newspapers and things like that. And it's the one thing I always tell people on the right, on the left, it doesn't even matter. Um, the thing to remember is when you walk into these media buildings, CNN, Fox, whatever, the sales department the marketing department and sales departments are bigger than 
the broadcast departments. And that's, that's such an important reminder. And people just sometimes kind of look at me and go, what do you mean? And I'm like, that should tell you everything that you need to know. They're selling a product. And, you know, it's the same thing with social media. And, you know, initially I was very, very glad that there was a push, especially on Facebook, because Twitter's just, I mean, Twitter's my favorite platform, but it's just out of control. I mean, you hear a little bit of everything, but with Facebook, there was really this effort to make this push for transparency. And it's just kind of been met with a, with a wall and um you know it's it's kind of gone nowhere but it you know it's interesting to to have to tell people that and then let them wonder um and every now and then you see a little light bulb pop up over someone's head like what am i watching is this news and and i think that's important as long as we keep moving in that direction i don't know that we're going in that direction yeah. but if we do i think that would be a great thing so yeah i think we are in agreement <laughs> well, let me ask you this maybe this is something we'll disagree on a little bit. I don't know. But this semester, actually, I'm teaching a, a media politics course. And one of the things that was brought up in the in the text I use and that this, a lot of the students really uh, found interesting was this uh, distinction between how the U.S. does things and how the other most of the other OECD countries, the big, rich, developed countries yep. do things. And most of these countries, they have what's called uh, some call a mixed model, meaning that there's certainly there's the, the private market based sort of things like we have in the United States, but there's also a lot more support for what you might call a public option, a much more well-funded government broadcasting agency uh, combined with greater regulation. You know, the BBC, obviously, in the UK is right. the example that comes to mind. And, and there's, there's been a lot of academic work that's found that the quality of the news oftentimes is better and actually the the extent of public understanding and knowledge is better. Now there's that there's a question of a correlation causation there, but a lot of the students now this, this is toward the end of the semester when I asked them about, well, what do you think we should do to fix our, if we can fix our pretty awful media politics system, which everyone seems to be agreed is awful. A lot of them are saying in their exams, which I haven't yet finished grading yet. So if you're listening, I'm working on it guys, uh, is that, we really should adopt more of a European mixed model sort of thing. They'd like to see much more support for like a BBC type option for the United States. I think it's an intriguing idea. I was wondering what you thought about that. I, you know, I think my only question, and it popped up in my head immediately when you mentioned this, because I've heard this argument before. My, my first question would be, would the news sway in, in the current of whatever the, whoever was in political power? Sure. I think that's the danger that you run into. Do I think it's necessarily a terrible idea? No. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very familiar with the, with the BBC, you know, they're a relatively reliable source, but they're, you know, and, and it, of course the CBC in Canada is, is is very similar. But, um, you know, there's so much criticism about, you know, the, the BBC mostly sort of shifting with the, the tide of power and, um, you know, having this, albeit a less of an influence, but still an influence. And then, there, you know, the, a lot of people find that more disturbing. You know, it's not a private entity. It's a, this public entity. And, you know, just, I, I, I guess it's, I guess it's inescapable, yeah. you know, but, um, but I mean, I, I think it's worth pursuing and, and, and talking about, I don't know that it's worth jumping right into. Right. Well, and, and we certainly have some models we could look at and which is, which is helpful. And that's why I don't like an entirely market sort of protected sort of thing entirely public and that the mix of of having the you know regular traditional outlets and that option i think if it's done right it certainly can lead to much better coverage i don't see that happening politically but uh yeah i certainly think it would be worth pursuing it'd be something 
I would be uh, I would be definitely in favor of. And you know, one other thing before we move on to another question is the last part of Brian's question. He says, "Ultimately, will we just have to wait for this era of information bubbles to pop themselves?" And to me, there's obviously a very optimistic assumption embedded in that, right? Uh, yeah. That it will. And and honestly, it seems to me, if anything, we're getting much better at putting ourselves in these bubbles. And of course, you know, here on the show, we do our best to try to pull people out of those bubbles. And there are other little attempts. But if you look at the things that are attracting hundreds of thousands and millions of viewers, it's not, hey, let's go and be bipartisan and listen to people civilly talking about conflicting views. It's, hey, give me red meat for my side. And I think we're getting, you know, Google and, and Facebook and, you know, Twitter and all, and all those places are getting better at giving us more of that. I don't see that changing because the underlying market imperatives aren't changing. No, I, 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 I do agree with that completely. I, I was going to say he's, that Brian is a lot more optimistic than I am about that. And, and um, you know, the fact that we have algorithms that can sort of manage your expectations and, and bend to your politics is, I find that all so disturbing. I did back when I was when doing the policy scout, when I had more time, um, you know, I, I tried to explore that as much as I could. And I tried to get out of my comfort zone with that. And ultimately, by getting out of my comfort zone, I became extremely uncomfortable <laughs> with how much, you know, these corporations know. And, you know, what exactly is the feedback? I know when I when I worked at this at my previous employer, you know, the 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 amount that you could micro target people um, politically was astounding to me. I mean, the information overload is, is astounding. Yeah. And who is getting this information? So I mean, these are all conversations we need to have. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little more pessimistic than Brian, like you are. But um, yeah. yeah, I, well, I think we yeah. answered that question. <laughs> we're, we're doing what we can here on the politics, guys. And, you know, I, certainly I think it would help greatly if we had a few million listeners. Certainly would help us greatly. But uh, it would be good for the country, too. I believe that, honestly. You know, uh, there's actually, Kristen, a, quest a question specifically for you, and I was thinking since it is specifically for you, and I don't know when we'll get a chance to do a listener mail show again, maybe I could read that question and you could respond to it if that would be okay. 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 Yeah, that was a great question. Go ahead. Okay. So it's, it's uh, Wilmer has a question for, for you, Kristen. It's about regulation. He writes, uh, Kristen, since you're a Republican, yeah, I knew you'd like that. Um, I would like to know your opinion about capitalism and regulation. Now, in his comment, Wilmer cites a number of instances in which the lack of regulation has cost lives, and he points out that in many cases, these instances involve successful companies that aren't at all struggling, but they fail to take adequate precautions for the safety of their workers or you know, the general public. So then uh, he ends by asking, so how do you draw that line, Kristen, when it comes to safety regulations? Uh, this is this is such a tough question for anybody who's on the right and also a bit wonky when it comes to policy. This is such a tough issue. And I don't know that Wilmer's going to like my answer, but it's the, it's the the answer that I come back to because I think it's the the most honest answer I can give. And and that's that this issue is very 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 murky and and that I take a very murky approach and then I think it should be case by case. Um I 
you know, I read I read governing a lot, and I would encourage anybody who doesn't read governing um, on online. Uh, it, it's just it's fabulous, and they, they do a lot of articles, sort of very wonky, sometimes clunky mm-hmm. policy articles, but very enlightening nonetheless about government regulation and sort of the political implications of it. Um, a lot of times they talk about things that I don't think about much, like food regulation and and things like that. Very interesting issues, but um, you know, I I was. When this, when I saw this question, I thought about something I read in Governing, um, and it was recently, and I, I should have pulled the article. I didn't pull the article, but it was about um, the closure of a nuclear plant. I don't even remember where it was, somewhere in the Northeast, I think. And, um, you know, it unpacked this issue from a political standpoint. And once you sort of sifted through this name calling and the accusations on either side, it was very much, you know, Democrats had put up this measure to close this nuclear power plant. Republicans were, you know, opposing it. Um, and I was very curious about it. Like, wh- like what exactly is happening here? This can't just be political. And I hate to say it, but that's exactly what it was. It became very clear to me that the Democratic lawmakers were sort of building this plant up to be something very, very harmful. And there was agreement that it was that they were portraying it to be more harmful than it actually was. And then on the same token, um, you know, likely they were trying to make a political point and Republicans were doing the same thing. They were standing in their way, like just to stand in their way. And it was purely political. And I think that the takeaway is that this sort of thing over regulation happens a lot more than we think because we have this polarized society. And I think this, I I really think that when it comes to regulation, we have to look at things case by case. a lot of regulation is is motivated. I, I think a lot of times regulation is motivated by something very positive. Like, you know, you obviously, Mike, brought up, um, you know, th- safety measures. Like, you know, we, in the last show, we talked about what was going on with Boeing, for example. Um, and I think a lot of times it's motivated by positive. I mean, I think you could call them like common good type reasons, something even altruistic. Um, but I also think a lot of it is motivated by efforts to try to grab tax dollars, Uh, seize power. A lot of times it's just politically motivated. I think, again, that happens a lot more than it should. Um, And, you know, from the right, I sort of look at it like there's sometimes the government takes a takes a notion that they know more than us. And so, you know, again, that's an effort to seize power. So again, Wilmer, I know I don't know if you're going to like this answer because it's murky, but it's honest. you know, as part of my public administration grad program, um, this is this is kind of the conclusion I came to. And I had a hardline view on some things. And, and this is one of those things I just don't have a hardline view on. I think it's case by case. I think it's impossible to draw a clear line and say, well, you know, if the regulation is for this purpose, yes, but it's for this purpose. No, I think that's difficult, especially this day and age. Um, I think it's important to look at the players. I think it's important to see what's motivating. Are there are there corporate interests in mind? Like, uh, you know, we talked a lot about what was going on with Boeing. There obviously, you know, there, there were there were financial issues going on and, and, and um, you know, lucrative government contracts and things. All of that's worth paying attention to. But, you know, a lot of times these judges, you know, when it, when they try to set precedent, they make these really vague rulings and they try to give judges, you know, in lower courts some discretion. So I think, you know, again, I think it's case by case. If it goes to court, you know, it's, it's worth it for the judge to look at things impartially and, and you know, try to try to, you know, rule accordingly. Um so that's that's my best murky answer, but it's honest. That's yeah. all I can, Mike. Well, I, in a way, I, I I agree with you that it it usually does have to be sort of a case by case thing. But but I do think that there are at least two general principles 
that one can employ in making these decisions. And, and those would be, number one, the intensity of the potential harm, or actually three, the intensity of the potential harm, the likelihood of the potential of, of any harm happening, and then the magnitude. So for instance, you know, in a case where there's a good likelihood that planes are going to fall out of the sky and kill hundreds of people, that's maybe a case where you need to have a little heavier regulatory hand. But in a case where there's a very unlikely possibility of a harm that wouldn't kill anyone, well, that's maybe a little less regulation. So I think that's the general sort of thing. Now, obviously, there are going to be differences between Democrats and Republicans. I tend to uh, err on the side of more regulation just to be safe. You would tend to err on the side, I would guess, of less. But I think those are reasonable principles that both Democrats and Republicans can agree on, at least. Yeah, I, I was I, I failed to mention it and I actually jotted this down as a note, but it's funny that you mentioned it, likelihood and magnitude. Yep. Um, you know, just how many people would be affected by it and whether or not people actually would be affected by it. And I think this is something that, you know, I think, uh, again, I think Democrats, like you said, tend to be a little more heavy handed with it. I think Republicans tend to be a little, uh, you know, a little reluctant to to, you know, jump on board with a regulation. But I, I think the most reasonable approach is to to go case by case and to assess it on this sort of like finite on these finite rules. And, and, and I, I don't think there's a clear line. You know, I know that that's what people like people when it comes to politics and, and I, and I was like this for many, many years, um, you know, before I, I approached it from an academic standpoint, we like black and white, you know, we like, yes, this, no, this My I have two young sons and they, you know, that's the way that they think that's the way we think. And I think when you really delve into these issues, especially things like regulation, it just gets so gray Yeah, and, yeah. and it's, and it's, just it's best to sort of err on the side of caution and say let's do this case by case and i think i think most especially supreme court justices have have the same uh, i guess take on it too um which is why they allow for so much discretion yeah no i, I that makes sense to me absolutely so i think uh i think we have time for maybe one last question didn't we have a question about uh uh trump in a second term or something <laughs> I love, that was my favorite question. And I really, I wanted to ask you this question. Um, so, so this is, this is uh, from Don and Don writes, um, maybe hopefully not Donald Trump, a different Don. <laughs> doesn't sound like he's a big fan. Um, so I would love to hear your prophetic utterances. That's funny about yeah. what a second term, God forbid, please. That's, you know, his, his words, not mine of a Donald Trump presidency, uh, would look like when re-election concern was no longer a thing for him. And then in in parentheses for emphasis, he writes shudder. <laughs> so I don't know. Any uh, prophetic utterances from you, Mike? <laughs> I honestly don't think it would look that much different because I think Donald Trump, more than any other president in my lifetime, uh, doesn't really think about, though, well, he thinks about re-election certainly, but I don't think not thinking about re-election would change his approach a whole lot. He has his base. I, I think what motivates Donald Trump is a deep desire to be loved and adored by a group of people. And he's got that now. I mean, he made that famous quote about, I could go ahead and shoot somebody and they'd still support me. And I think to Donald Trump, that is the, that is the pinnacle of life and success and all that. And so he's going to keep on catering to these people to try to get there and keep their love and affection and adulation no matter what. And it doesn't matter 
whether he they can vote for him or not. I mean, I don't think it's going to change at all. It's going to be a nightmare for another four years, the same sort of nightmare, not a whole lot different, except it'll be different in a way because, of course, like with all presidents, if he gets reelected year seven and eight, people just start stop listening to you because they're focusing on the next president. So, you know, right. I, Don, in a way, I can say, have hope. I don't think it'll be any worse given what we know about Donald Trump. At least that's my take on it. What do you think, Kristen? Right. Well, you know, I think on the same, uh, you know, in the, in the, along the same vein, when you say that, um, you know, he's got nothing to lose, he's, he could shoot, so, you know, he, he made that crazy comment about, you know, he could shoot somebody and, and he would still be supported by his supporters. I think on the same foot, you know, he, the, the man could cure a horrific disease and there would still be people who hated him. You know, and and I and I think I think that 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 sentiment goes both ways. Um, you know, I I just don't see the ticker moving very much, like you said. I I think that um, you know, in their presidents who are elected to a second term, and and you know, the one that comes to mind is comes to mind obviously is Obama. Um, but they're very concerned about their legacy, and so that's why you know, um, most presidents out outgoing presidents will, you know, campaign pretty fervently for whoever, you know, whoever their favored candidate is or the candidate from their party, even if they don't necessarily like them. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's something that Donald Trump is going to be even more concerned with in a second term. Um, because I, you know, he's, he's going to be looking for legacy. It's not just about, um, you know, getting reelected all of a sudden, if he's reelected, which I think he will be, um, you know, he's he's going to be less concerned with things like getting the wall built to try to gain favor. He's going to be more concerned about getting the wall built. So I would even I would say and again, Democrats are, are not going to like to hear this at all. But I think you're going to see ramped up efforts on things like that, because I think he views things like the wall as part of his legacy, just like Obama you know, viewed a lot of things as part of his legacy um, and why, you know, why the left was so, I think, um, you know, disjointed and and bent out of shape, you know, when when Hillary Clinton didn't win. Even people who who hated Hillary Clinton and voted for her while holding their nose were were still so upset because, you know, a lot of these Obama era policies and functions were were now going to come to to an end. And they knew that. So I think I actually think it's going it's not going to look too different. I agree with you there, but I think some things will be more magnified. I think you would see, um, you know, um, an amped up push for a wall. Um, You know, I think you would see amped up, um, you know, support for, you know, um, I guess things at the border programs at the border. Um, but in terms of everything else, I, I don't think you'd see much more Trump. Trump is Trump (laughs) for better or for worse. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be about his legacy, just like it is with every other president. Well, so that's uh, a little less hopeful, I think, than, than my, uh, than my take, but still not, uh, still not, it's going to be, you know, the, the apocalypse upon us or anything like that, which is, which is something. And so, uh, how about on that, uh, on that non-apocalyptic note, we, uh, we end things for today. (laughs) So thanks, thanks everyone for listening. We really do appreciate it. And we do hope you like what you heard and, and Hey, if you can support us on Patreon, that would be awesome. We really appreciate it. It's what helps us keep the show going on a week-to-week basis. And if you want to do that, also you get special bonus stuff. Check it all out on patreon.com slash politicsguys or visit uh, uh, politicsguys.com slash support. And if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, we really hope you would. That helps us too, as does rating and reviewing uh, episodes on whatever podcast app you listen to. 
And if you want to get in touch with us, uh, we're at mail at politicsguys.com. There's our Facebook page, facebook.com slash politicsguys page. That's always interesting, entertaining, sometimes infuriating, but in a good way, maybe. And we're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producer of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Bruce Johnson, Will Moreno, and Benji Fishman. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski and Kristen Matheny. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.